Welcome to the Embellish Podcast, where we like to talk about stories. We like to explore how embellishment makes a story better, how it allows us to connect more deeply with both the person telling the story and the subject of the story. Together, we will explore people, products, and places that have a story to tell. We'll navigate through the truths, half-truths, and outright lies and decide if the truthiness even matters. I wanted to take an opportunity tonight to sit down and talk about the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, which I just got back from Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night down, I guess, up in Bardstown, experiencing the event. The first year that they've done the event like this, and I think there was a lot of good things, a lot of bad things, and we'll talk about that. Before we even get into the event, the event itself was facing an uphill battle to, to begin with. There's a significant change in how they are bringing the event to you on a regular basis. Historically, they've boasted something like something like 50,000 attendees to the event, but I've also read statements that they've never reached 50,000. So uh, one of the biggest things that is an issue for Bardstown is there's not really a sufficient quantity of hotels or public transportation to really handle this amount of people in town and this type of a thing. I noticed that many people were staying in Louisville. And if I had it to do over again, I would probably have done the exact same thing. Um, there was some sort of an indication that there was going to be a shuttle while staying in Louisville to the event. And Louisville has a lot more public transportation, a lot more food, a lot more opportunity to do things that are not event-centric. And if, you know, if you're like me and you have the opportunity to be in Bardstown more regularly, then uh, there's not a great draw to spend a ton of time there during this particular event. Um, this real lack of public transportation in Bardstown proper sort of feels like a huge miss on behalf of the hotels and the, the tourism commission in town. There's there's probably ways to mitigate that. You have an event that is solely catered towards people that are 21 years old or older. And the intent of that event is to consume alcohol. And there's not a whole lot of options. There's not you know, a ton of cabs. There's not a ton of Uber or Lyft. And so you're, you're set with the situation of pay for a ticket for a person to come in and be a DD. Moderate yourself, which is obviously the, the goal for everyone is to moderate yourself. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to sort of take a chance and say, okay, I, I know what my capabilities are. And so this, you know, this, this this distinct lack of public infrastructure makes it difficult. And so those are things that are sort of outside the, the scope of what the event planners can handle here. Um, one of the other things that is, you know, somewhat out of the, the scope of event handlers is there was a significant tension between this event and the community. Due to the change in the status, uh, many of the locals felt like, they were being left out of this event, that they weren't really even welcome to it. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time on social media looking at the different posts and the things that they were doing for the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, and you could not go on Instagram and look at a post without finding at least three or four local residents coming in there and talking about how this was an event that used to be for the town, and now it's not for the town. It's for rich outsiders. And you know, I sort of laugh at that myself because I'm obviously not rich. Maybe I am an outsider. I am from the state of Kentucky, but I'm not from Bardstown. And I would say that there was a good quantity of people that were there that were not rich or you know elite or any other thing. 
just people that were paying attention on Facebook whenever they posted that out there. Um, but those people, you know, they have, uh, they have feelings, they have sentiments and their sentiment was that they felt like there was no effort put into involving them in a unique fashion. And I've thought about this. I've, in the past, I've worked with different types of events, music events, um, concert events, food events. Uh, I've even done a, helped out in a few beer festivals. And planning events is difficult, but maybe there's some sort of a, a common ground in the middle where you can shift the ideas of you know Wednesday and Thursday become public community events for the Bardstown area. And then you close up the event for Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the paying attendees. I know several of the distilleries had purchased, you know, bulk of the tickets for people, and some of their employees were given those to come and participate in. So um, the the people who were complaining about not being able to be in the event, maybe they missed something, maybe they didn't, maybe they have a legitimate complaint. But when you're making a significant, drastic change. You have two options. You can try to do it gradually, so you change it one year, a little bit, and a little year, and a little bit, and a little bit. Or you just rip the Band-Aid off and take care of it. And I think that's the approach that they took. I don't necessarily disagree with it, as I had a good time. But those are things that are you know, more in long-term planning. One of the other things, parking. Parking was absolutely atrocious. There was virtually no unpaid or non-paid public parking nearby. You could park on a street side anywhere. There was availability. Most of the lots ranged from ten to twenty dollars, which is not terrible considering other events I've been to in the past. But um, with the lack of public transportation and the lack of unpaid you know, public parking, we're already you know several dollars deep in this situation. One of the things that was encouraging is for a an event that's being held in a pandemic world. Um, they were requiring a COVID vaccine, a negative test, or some degree of rapid testing, and they had those rapid testing set up on site. They had two health tents on opposite ends of the entrance. So if you were to come into the front of the 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 event, you know, they had a fenced-off area in front of the building doing everything, and the entrance was sort of almost in the middle, and you had a tent on one side and a tent on the other side. We were able to get your... Um, wristband that was around your vaccine or you know whether you had a negative test or whether they did a rapid test for you the problem was whenever they managed the the line to get in one of those tents got buried behind rows and rows of people and there was only one entrance to bring in you know a few thousand people and so you know we didn't get there as soon as it opened um, hey Robbie I see that you're on there sorry there's a delay on there good to see you thanks for showing up and enjoying this but there was you know several several people there in line when we got there and one of the unique things I guess about how Eventbrite does things and Eventbrite was the vendor that they used for the tickets for the event it was really easy to go on and purchase event tickets and purchase the special speaker tickets and all of those things it was you know that was super easy but it appeared when we got to the front they had to enter into a different like navigation screen to be able to scan the people who had multi-day tickets versus the people who had single day tickets and so you have a single line and you have the person at the front that's like oh you're a three day hold on let me scan you over here or you're a single day let me scan you over here um maybe there's a better way to resolve that maybe there's a you know 
different whatever, but you had everybody trying to funnel through one single entrance unless you were a VIP or media person. A VIP and a media person had a separate entrance, which obviously they pay more. The expectation is that they're not going to have the kind of lines, but um, maybe it's, you know, send some of the line management staff to Disney, let them learn how they they handle their lines and, and try to take some notes there. One of the other things I noticed whenever I got in you know, beforehand, I, I'm a planner by nature, and I read through the rules and the FAQs and everything there was in front of us, and they had this really long list of prohibited items and allowed items that were allowed in, which is great. You know, here, you know, we don't want firearms, we don't want food and beverages from outside the building, but the best of what I saw, they did not check any bags anywhere, and that seems like a, a public safety miss to me. You know, I, I I know specifically I saw some folks were bringing in outside samples to to share with each other. You know, some folks call that a handshake, uh, which I don't necessarily have a problem with. But if they're not checking that, then they're also not checking for other items that might be concerned, you know, illegal narcotics or, you know, weapons or anything along that line. Um, so, you know, this big long list, things we're going to do, lines got backed up. So I assume they probably tossed those things out because they were just trying to get people inside now once we got inside we get to the first tent which is right after the entrance and you get handed your glen cairn and you get your challenge coin and i will say these the glen cairns are you know this is this is what they gave us these are pretty nifty little glasses and this is what you had to carry with you for most of the event most of the vendors had plastic cups on hand as well and they had rinsing stations with non-potable water so you could rinse out your glens and continue to get tasting out of that, uh, but I get you know I saw several people drop theirs, break theirs, do things along that line, um, and then there was a challenge coin that they handed out, which is a really nice piece of metal here. It's hard to kind of see that. Got a brass look to it, which you know looks sort of coppery, Vendome on it. One of the things I noticed because we had a multi-day pass when we came in the second day, there was no way for them to know the people who were, you know, handing out the, the coins and the Glen Cairns for them to know that we were returning people. So if I had been someone who might do these kinds of things, I would have, I could have gotten, um, two Glen Cairns on Friday and two Glen Cairns on Saturday as well as two challenge coins and two challenge coins. I, I brought my wife with me. So you're able to see that. In the same tent where they're handing out the Glen Cairns and the challenge coins, they were also handing out their drink bracelets. And so the way drinks and beverages worked, you get this, you know, nifty little bracelet. They have one right around here. Perfect. They gave these nifty little orange bracelets that looked I can't remember. There were different colors for different days. But these little event bracelets and there was a little tab that you would pull off and it had five dollars marked on it, and that's how you got a single pour off of it. Um, while the idea is really nifty, the way those things folded off, they fell off easily. Now I found several times where I had to pick them up out of the grass, to make sure I didn't lose them. And at five bucks a pop, um, five bucks a pop, uh, you know, you want to make sure you keep a hold of the, thanks Tim. I see you're out there a little bit, a little bit late. I'm running over my, uh, rundown from, uh, Kentucky Bourbon Fest. I know you weren't there and I missed an opportunity to be able to, to see you, but I'm planning on trying to get up there in that area. Uh, the The bar setup is it's taking a little bit of time, but this is where I'm getting uh, with it. So thank you guys for for being here tonight. Um, so the bracelets, while they were really neat, they were also sort of a pain in the butt. They the the little tabs fell off, 
and it drove to this idea of poor inconsistency. And I don't mean like P-O-O-R, I mean P-O-U-R. These Lynn Cairns, um, different booths would pour different volumes based off of what you were getting. So, you know, I'm obviously not expecting to go in and get a bar level pour at a bar level price. You know, the idea is that you want to taste a bunch of different things and have an experience. But how much they put in a glass really, really varied. And at $5 per pour, or if you're getting a premium pour, say at the um, barrel at the barrel tent, they were doing, you know, two two tickets for two tickets for like a seagrass pour. But they did a really good job and they would fill up beyond the the bulge. Uh, some of the major brands would put basically a splash in there. Craft tents, on the other hand, you're exactly right, Tim. There were a lot of craft tents that um, didn't necessarily take the pull tabs, and that was that was fine by me. You know, I'm willing to give it because uh, reality is that I wanted to spend most of my time with the craft, anyways. Because the major distillers that were up front were things that I can get on a regular basis. Being able to see, you know, like WM Tar or Penelope or Monk's Road. All those things are not things that I see on a regular basis. So I was, you know, spending my time over there. But the the folks in the craft areas, they're the ones that did really good on pouring, and they spent a lot more time with with the people. What I saw, um, yes, they absolutely did say yes. We're here to party. Um, you know, sp- specifically maybe the uh, Penelope tent. Might have known a known a guy that was over there. Um, the, but the problem is that as you're coming in, you know, they're handing out the Glencairns, they're handing out the coins, they're handing out the bracelets. It's all right there at the front. It's, you got this just giant congestion, so you can't get people in fast enough. You end up standing in line for 45 minutes or an hour. It is what it is. You know, there's, there's things that you're, they're going to learn and they're going to get better about. Um, but you know, the, the, that's what this is all about is talking about what was good and what was bad about it. Um, beyond that, some of the other situations that happened, there was, you know, a lot of information sent out to attendees about food. So, um, (laughs) yes, his name is Robbie and he does like to party. Um, I may have had a little bit of, uh, Heaven Hill bottle and bond with this man, him. So, man, after your own heart, um, there were several, food vendors that were planning on being there and you know a day or two before the event hit they sent out an email then you know to all the attendees several of these food vendors are having a hard time being staffed up appropriately so they're not going to be there it's covid protocols all of this that um whether that is you know that that is likely the reason that they gave to Kentucky Bourbon Festival specifically um I have my own sneaking suspicion. There was this other event happening in town called Cheers to Bardstown. The Bardstown Tourism Commission looked like they were pretty heavily involved in that. And it looked to me like there were quite a few food vendors there. And so it almost looked like some of these food vendors were deferring to participate in the free and open event that was targeted towards the local community as opposed to closed and ticketed event for what are seen as outsiders. So... Pointing back to this problem of having a problem with the community that's hosting you. And so uh, I don't know what the solution to that is, but I would 
suspect that there's probably going to be a lot of post-mortem and discussion on that with the uh, event planners going forward, and they've got to get that that sorted out. Um, you don't want the town around you upset that you're there. You're obviously bringing revenue in. You want to include them, but you also want to make this a uh, tourist event as well because you know dollars are dollars, and that's what it boils down to. Um, I, I was one of the people who purchased a multi-day pass. That's another thing that I'll spend a little bit of time talking about. Do you need a multi-day pass? And based off of what I experienced this year, um, probably not for the average attendee. I likely would not do it again next year on a multi-day. I would probably choose a single day. The only caveat to that is if there are five unique pores you're really targeting, you know, five different things you're really trying to get sip of, you're probably going to want two days to do because after the fourth or fifth, you're not really going to taste much of anything anymore anyways. And so you're going to you know, start flagging in your ability to, to kind of get through that. One of the other things is um, if you want to do, you know, you, there was this, this choice that you had to make of, am I here as a social event or am I here as an experience for whiskey? And if you wanted to do both, that's another case for having a multi-day ticket is it? day is focused solely on you know experiencing whiskey and talking to vendors and another day is focused on the social networking aspect that we'll talk about that in a couple minutes and then last probably the most real use case for a multi-day ticket is they hosted these educational events uh, in a premium tent and they were additional tack on prices i booked one for friday and one for saturday and i got to see some you know wonderful content from Dr. Pat Heist from Wilderness Trail on Friday and Joyce Nethery from um, Jeff the Creed on Saturday. Both were great events. Those were worth me being there both days for. But if I were planning again next year, um, I would probably not do that. Or maybe I would have a day that is educational and a day that is not. Either way, I think you can experience the entirety of the tents. Yeah, exactly right, Tim. It, it can be done in one day. In the same way, and then I'm going to go back to this this analogy that I made. You can probably do Magic Kingdom in one day, but can you do all of Magic Kingdom in one day at Disney? Um, to some degree, you can. So if you're only going to choose one day, then like I said, you're going to have to make choices. You're going to either meet friends and drink, or you're going to try all the pours that you ever wanted to try, or you're going to network. And from what I saw, both Friday and Saturday, networking seemed to be the phrase of the day or the idea of the day. It was different groups. What was really interesting was seeing lots of social media folks, YouTube folks, interacting and spending a lot of time talking to each other. It was an opportunity to sit down and um, meet people that probably don't get a chance to meet aside from events like this. So, you know, you see the people from It's Bourbon Night and see, um, Chris from the uh, Urban Bourbonist and got to see Jack from Hood Sommelier and um, Matt Bourbon Jeeper. Get to see everybody. Um, if that's what you're going to do, that's probably what you're going to do the whole day. You know, and and you're not you're going to be able to taste some 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 whiskey during that time. But whiskey becomes the second thought to the event at that point. Um, what I really really enjoyed seeing is that. Most of these social media types you know, where we're very much congregated in the craft section. There's a lot of reasons why they might have been congregating in the craft section. 
I can I can stipulate a lot of things, but it was great to see. I the, you know I think that craft is probably one of the greatest growth opportunities within whiskey. You know your your big name brands, which were relatively poorly represented at the entire event. Um, you know specifically thinking about you know Buffalo Trace, Heaven Hill obviously wasn't there. Buffalo Trace wasn't in anywhere besides I think maybe the VIP section and didn't see much out of Brown Foreman either. So you know the lack of those. People's presence wasn't necessarily surprising, but um, it really kind of put the emphasis on there was almost twice as many craft distilleries as there were major brand distilleries, and most of what I would consider whiskey nerds were really focused on those craft distilleries. Um, and like I said earlier, the craft guys were pouring heavy, and the the major brands were not necessarily. I will say I did spend a little bit of time at the Mictor's Tent because they did have their um, toasted finished bourbon out and I didn't know it until Saturday. I was sitting at the table talking to Jack Hood Sommelier and uh, somebody else that knew him from Instagram came over and they're like, oh yeah, I just came from the Mictor's tent and they're pouring toasted barrel over there and both of us just like stopped the conversation. We're like, all right, we're heading over there and go get some of that because I didn't expect it to be there. And then you're exactly right, uh, Tim. It was very much the whiskey nerds know what's good. I see a lot of people congregating in Peerless's booth a lot of people congregating in Penelope's booth, um, some with the Neely family. Like it was, it was really fun to see. And most of the attendees were pretty aware of their surroundings. One of the things that is, you know, not something for the people working the booths, not something for the uh, event planners, but for those of you that are attending. Talking to booth workers is absolutely expected. You're going to talk to them about what they're making, you know, get some ideas from them, chit chat with them, learn something. But don't stand there for 45 minutes talking to them while there's a line standing behind you waiting to get at it because you're limiting that distillery's ability to share what they have with the attendees and you're limiting other people's ability to experience what was brought forward. And so you're kind of hindering the entirety of what the focus is here. Um, that doesn't mean don't come back, you know, like have a quick conversation with them three, four minutes, come back later when there's no line or make it a point to catch somebody. Because what I did see a lot of is the people that were working in the booths when they would finish their shift would step out into the audience. And now you've got a chance to talk to them. I saw Pat Heist walking around and people just stopping and chit chatting with him about wilderness trail and all of those things. So, you know, there's, there's an opportunity to talk to them. Don't be the reason that there's a log jam of people. Um, because what ends up happening is, is that people stand in line for maybe three or four minutes unless they're incredibly motivated. And if the people don't move, the log jam doesn't get cleared out, then they're going to move to another tent. And once again, you know, that's, uh, that's great because other tents are going to get to experience them. But you're limiting that one distillery that you really intend on talking to and limit their, their exposure at the event. And maybe that person comes back, maybe that person doesn't. Um, you know, this is the kind of event that it would be easy to make an entire weekend out of if you don't get a chance to come to Bardstown because there's distilleries around. There are things that were happening at Bardstown, and one of the biggest regrets that I have from the weekend is that I did not make it to either Bardstown Bourbon Company and pick up their Ferrand uh, expression or make it up to Peerless and get their double-barreled selection because both of those have had an opportunity to try. I tried the Ferrand at the the event and it was fantastic 
But I also knew as soon as I tried it, it was, you know, late in the day. Saturday, I'm like, this is not even going to be there. And we had dinner plans that night um, at the distillery. So we went and sat down and had dinner and chit-chatted with the, the waiter. I was like, hey, how long did it last? And he was like, maybe an hour and a half. And so, you know, I, I missed an opportunity there to pick up what I think is probably a fantastic bottle. Um, and then, you know, you have the opportunity to go to places like the bar at Willet or Barstown Bourbon Company or over to Old Talbot. There's, you know, a lot of fun stuff. And then there's the, um, I think Scout and Scholar is the new beer place that has, you know, fantastic reviews as well. You know, we chose to have dinner Friday night at the bar at Willet. Also, if you go to the bar at Willet, just kind of keep in mind, they close at like six o'clock and I made my reservation for 530 and they never mentioned it. We're sitting there at like 615 getting ready to order dessert and she was like the, you know, the, the lady working the bar that had made our drink. She, you know, put the, the dessert order in and she's looking across. She has an eye and I've worked in food services before. And I know what that eye is. That eye is I sent order back to the kitchen after the kitchen had cleaned up. And I was like, are they already cleaning the kitchen? She was like, yeah, we close at six. And I was like, my God, you should have told me I'm not that person. Um, but no, they were great. They were fantastic. They served us all the way to the end. We made sure we tipped well and I believe in tip karma. So there's a lot of fun opportunities but I get a chance to be in Bardstown a few times a year. So the Bardstown Bourbon Festival probably will not be a weekend event for me again. Next year, it'll probably be stay in Louisville, come in for either Friday or Saturday for the event. But there was a lot of things that were happening in Louisville um, Friday and Saturday night. Lots of people going to places like Evergreen and seeing uh, Single Barrel Stub. Lots of people were going to... Uh, Lots of people were going to uh, Peerless Distillery or going to other bars in Louisville. And just the the opportunity to be able to have a safe ride home, home or walking distance from a legit bar or distillery or whatever, um, incredibly valuable. And so the, it wasn't readily apparent where transportation was to get you back to downtown Louisville from the event. Um, but it was stated that it was there. And what was curious is that there was a statement that there was transportation to and from Louisville but there was not any clear state of transportation that the hotels in Bardstown had transportation to the event, which was super curious to me. Like, you know, if, if I'm a hotel, I'm probably going to want to provide that because I want those people to keep coming back and picking up their vehicles at the end of the event, uh, as opposed to, you know, getting a DUI and end up having to leave their cars in the parking lot or whatever else that happens to happen. Um, you know, it was all in all, it was a good event. Uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly. My my wife enjoyed it. Got to have some great conversations with some people. Didn't get near enough time to spend with the people that I wanted to spend, which is kind of always the case whenever you get a chance to go to an event like this. It feels like it's too short, and that's the reality of it for me. You know, one of the things, one of the other things that I think is sort of lacking for the event is you know, whiskey is a very much a social beverage an opportunity to have a drink, have a conversation and, and mingle with people. And you're having an event that runs from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. You probably also need to have a good place to sit down. Now, like <laughs> there were maybe eight tables to sit down at and eat right next to the food carts. There were more tables that were up by one of the bar lounge areas there were a few chaise type chairs that were around trees, but the reality is that most people I would suspect probably left just because they got tired of standing. And, and, and that's a real thing. It, it is what it is. I know that there were some 
there were some historic events that kind of got in their way. And so I'm, I'm you know, the, the, the redeeming fact of it is there's a sense of resiliency with this event. And yeah, it, I think that Tim, you're right here where it says it sort of feels like it got thrown together and that there were some things where, um, they came up short, but I try to scope it in this idea of number one, they decided to move forward with hosting an event in a post pandemic world where letting people in and getting, even getting resources to stuff can be difficult. Restaurants have a hard time. Everybody has a hard time getting employees and, and you're right. Yeah. I touched on this a little earlier, Tim, on the two food trucks. They had said that they were going to have a bunch and then they sent an email out two or three days before that said, Hey, um, all of our vendors are having, having staffing problems. We're not going to be able to have people there. And I think the reality is, is all of those folks moved over to the Cheers Bardstown. Um, but see you later, man. Thanks for, for coming out, Tim. It was fantastic of you to show up, but, um, back to what I'm saying. So they're, they're having, having an event, in a pandemic world where, Restrictions and ability to get things done is difficult. Probably getting volunteers is difficult because you got to have somebody who's vaccinated or a negative test or all of the things that they've kind of put in place. Compound that with the city of Bardstown having its own event of Cheers Bardstown, and that is an open and free event. And so now you're trying to stretch resources even more thin. You know, local local events are are going to be happening that are going to detract from what's on there. Then compound that with you know two or three days before they're having you know, biblical type flooding situation. And what does that mean? That means that some of the logistics you planned out ahead of time aren't going to work out. They're not going to have um, maybe some of the resources they had available to them. They are spending more time on trying to solve how can people even walk through the event as opposed to, you know, do they have a place to sit down? Do they have a place to do this? Do they have a place to do that? And so, you know, it's tough to cancel an event two days out. And so they just sojourned ahead. They figured out a way to sort of make it happen. And if I, if I scope the entirety of the event under all of those things, I feel pretty good about what they did. I feel like there's probably a lot of learning experiences. Now, my concern is, is that if you come out of it and you say, this was a smashing success and there's not any room for improvement, um, that's probably where you make your mistake. But Given the credentials of the of the person who's in charge of this now, having his experience with Churchill Downs and I believe the Wisconsin State Fair in the past, I don't think that's going to be the case. But I think, you know, the things that you have to resolve. Number one, you have to resolve the community. Like the, the community you're hosting this in has to be open and accepting and ready for you to be there. Um, number two, you've got to make sure you have plenty of food on site because this is an alcohol consuming event to make sure people can eat probably uh number three is improve the logistics within bardstown have the i don't know if if i've got a really good way to wrap this up or not so i'm probably just gonna stop there but we're at about 32 minutes of talking Uh, i've I've covered what i have notes wise on this particular event you have any other thoughts absolutely feel free to leave them in chat or in comments or something and we'll get that i'll get those answered i'll respond to them i'll do whatever it is i can to to thanks for listening to the embellish podcast if you like what you heard make sure to subscribe check out our website at embellishpod.com 
and follow us on social media at Instagram and Twitter to keep up with what we have going on. If you have an idea about a story we should talk about, send it to us at embellishpod at gmail.com. And remember, whether famous or infamous, a good story mixed with a touch of embellishment makes the food you ate, the drink you drank, and the places you visited just a little more memorable.